So I have been uh, loving this journey. I missed uh, the last couple of weeks, but I've been catching up, and uh, I sat in the mega small group. It's called a small group, but there's 90 of us on a Tuesday that gather in the mega small group. So it uh, really has been fun around different tables. Many of you are sitting during the week doing the small group part of this as well in different homes. And I was just, I loved listening to uh, Quinton preach last week about I'm a servant. And hearing how people, uh, God has given them gifts. And are we being faithful like those, uh, uh, <coughs> the king who came back and said, good and faithful servant. Are we using the talents and abilities God has given us? So I hope that you have been enjoying the journey as well. We're on page 10 today. I loved seeing around the table how many notes people have been taking and writing uh, some notes during the sermon and drawing some pictures. And I encourage you to do that on page number 10. And then page 11 is what you're going to be doing on Tuesday or Wednesday in your small group. If you're not part of a small group, not too late, you can come and join us right here, 6.30 on Tuesday, and we'll uh, add you to one of the tables, and you can do that uh, small group part of the work as well. Very quick recap. These circles kind of summarize the whole point and the, the, the point of this journey is, uh, as you can see there, there, there we go. Uh, the two circles, one, the yellow circle represents what the God of truth says is true about you. God doesn't change. He is truth. And when he looks at us, he speaks, he sees things in us. He says, this is true about you. Now, sometimes it's hard to believe because you don't feel it. And sometimes you don't feel loved or you don't feel strong. Gideon, he came to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he says, God, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like we're abandoned and I feel weak. But that doesn't change what God says. What God says is true and he's our father in heaven and the father defines the identity of his children. And here's the thing, that yellow circle doesn't move. It's never gonna move. The other circle, the white circle, is what you believe to be true about you. And normally that's based on your feelings. I feel loved, or I feel strong, or I feel abandoned, or I feel worthless. And so we build up this identity of ourselves, usually based on our feelings. The feelings are usually based on what other people have said, or what social media has said, or things that have happened, or your behavior that has now defined what you feel to be true about yourself. But the identity gap is the gap between those two circles. And the goal of this preaching journey is to close the gap. Which of those circles move? The white one has to move because the yellow one will never move. So if that identity gap is going to be closed, God is not going to adjust His truth to you. We have to adjust our thinking to what God says. And that's called repentance. When we transform by the renewing of our mind and we repent of our old identity and say, God, I'm choosing not to trust my feelings more than your word. I'm trusting your word more than what I feel or what other people say. And over the past few weeks, Chaz was looking at, I am a child of God. I'm part of this incredible family adopted in. Quinton was looking at, I am a servant of God. Under this master in heaven, I should be saying, yes, Lord, just as much as I'm saying, please, Lord. Because I'm a son and I'm a servant. What I want to talk about today is uh, something you might struggle. Let me test you out. How many of you feel like a saint? All right, hostile crowd. We're going to go for it. Why don't you tell the person next to you, you are going to be convinced that you are a saint. Yeah, I'm sensing a little bit of opposition still, but that's okay. We will overcome. 
I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, and I love it when you do, because you can make some notes in your Bible, you can underline some words, because there's a couple of words I'd love you to, uh, to mark in your Bible. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, Peter writing to, this, to the church, and he says in verse number 9, but you are, why don't you say you are? No, say it like you mean it, but you are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special position, possession, that you may. Won't you say that you may? Now think about these two things together. But you are that you may. I want you to see the connection here because this is what this is all about. We think that surely our behavior is going to define our identity. Yep, that's what happens in the world. But in the kingdom of God, like most things, it's completely the other way around. Your identity determines your behavior. It's almost like once you understand your identity, a new set of permissions and opportunities open up to you. You are that you may. You are a chosen person. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priest that you may live your life in the presence of God, reflecting His glory and declaring His wonder. Who you are determines what you may or may not do that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The reason I'm passionate about this is because the more I've studied this, the more I've realized it's our identity that is gonna determine our behavior. And it's our behavior, when you add up your behavior over your life, that's what's determined your destiny. So in a very real way, your destiny is critically dependent on your identity. Does that make sense? Identity determines behavior, behavior determines destiny. If you want to walk in the destiny that God has for you, then you have to embrace God's identity for you. You can't have a half identity and expect to walk in a full destiny. The fullness of the destiny plans God has for you is based on your willingness by faith to embrace the identity that God sees in you. That's why this is so critically important. Verse number 10, once you were not, why don't you say that out loud? Once you were not a people, but now you are. Why don't you say, now you are? Once you were not, but now you are. This is the good news of the gospel right here. The good news about Jesus Christ is that because of Jesus, we get a second chance. Because of Jesus, we don't get an upgrade, we get born again. Once you were not, but now you are. I remember my line in the sand moment, 19th of August, 1989, 17-year-old insecure kid trying to find the meaning of life, and I met Jesus. He took a hold of me, and once I was not, but now I am. My wife, Kate, she grew up in a beautiful Christian home. Both her parents are ministers. She grew up in kids' ministry, teaching kids' ministry. She was kind of a Christian all her life, and yet even for her, there was a season in her life where at the time, sport was everything. She's an amazing sportswoman. And, and that kind of became her primary, I love for sport. Then she got an injury, which sidelined her for a few months. And in those few months, there was this sudden void. Without sport, I'm nothing. And God had to catch her attention to say, no, actually, good things, when they become God things, are called idols. And sometimes then God is gonna take away those idols to realize Christ alone. And over that season, Kate came to realize, actually, I've got to put Jesus first, not sport. And, and that was her moment. Once I was not, now I am. For some of you, maybe you've walked in Christian circles, you've been going to church, but always kind of at a distance. And then somewhere along the line, you said, that's it, I'm getting baptized, I'm all in. And you, we went to the pool and we dunked you and you came out brand new creature. Once I was not, but now I am. 
It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Once you were not, now you have. Here's the problem. Sometimes, sadly, we cross the line, once you were not, now you are. But instead of, of completely letting go our old once you were not identity, we, we drag it with us into the now you are. And you end up being kind of a now you are-ish. Because instead of walking into the fullness of this beautiful yellow identity, you've still got a hand on your old white identity dragging it along with you. There's a lady that I've known in the church probably about 20 years. And, and in loving kindness, we, we're good friends. But in loving kindness, it's been one broken relationship after another, one drama after another. It's just the cycles go round and round and round. And I'm sad, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say in, in 20 years of knowing her, I've never actually, tell me your story. And as I listened to her story, I was broken once again. This was a story of, of someone born to a teenage pregnancy, which was unwanted. Her, her mom didn't want her at all. Her dad rejected her. Family members then abused her while she was young. And, and all of her life, if you could sum it up with one primary word of identity, it would be rejected. That's why, Marilise, what you were talking about this morning, kind of you preached my sermon already, because there was, that became her identity. Yes, she gave her life to Jesus, and yes, she knows Jesus loves her, but she's taken this with her. And you know, when you've got a, a kind of rejected identity, you just know it's just a question of time before people reject me. It always happens that way, so it's just gonna happen. So sometimes before it even happens, I might as well get in there first and reject you, so at least I have the, the, the joy of rejecting you before you could reject me, because then I'm in control. And so whether I reject you or it does happen and the people I trust, it's just a question of time. You live with this identity, I'm the rejected person and I always get rejected. And you can imagine when that's your primary identity, identity determines, Behavior, behavior determines destiny. Now you're walking in a rejected destiny because of a rejection identity. And as I was chatting with her, I was pondering what it actually means to be a saint. Now you might think, well, what, what the how do these two connect? Let me show you how amazingly they connect. We read, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In Ephesians 1 verse 1, Paul said, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus. But if you read it in uh, the ESV, ESV in uh, Ephesians 1 verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Philippians 1 verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints. What is a saint? How many of you I want you actually to put up your hands. Everyone, just, just raise your hand, and let's see how many of you can qualify according to church tradition for sainthood. Okay, so keep your hands up. If you, well, 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 put your hands up. All of you, let's, I want to see. If you still qualify after I read these things, then keep your hand up. Otherwise, take your hand down. Okay, to be a saint, you have to have been dead five years. Okay, well, I'm glad you're still qualifying, Terence. I mean, Tian's good. So number two, if you want to be a saint, the life of the person was then investigated to see whether they lived with sufficient holiness and virtue to be considered a saint. Now your spouse has pulled down your hand. 
Then number three, the influence was then looked at. Did they draw others to prayer through their example? And this is like inspired to pray, not dear God, please rescue them kind of prayers. Anyway, and then number four, two miracles need to be attributed to this individual to show that God heard their prayers. Isn't that amazing? This is how the church history had a list of qualifications. If you are considered to be a saint, before we can say St. Quentin, these four things have to be true about your life. And yet here's Paul the apostle writing to the church, to the saints. Now clearly he's not writing to dead people. And he's writing to the church in Ephesus, to the saints, and he says, hey guys, don't get drunk on wine. Not very saintly life right there. In other words, what Paul had in mind, the biblical understanding of being a saint was very different to what we have created. When we think saint, we've even got a saying in English that speaks about a person. That Tianska, he's no saint. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about then. There's probably some kind of dodginess in his life. We even use it as part of one of the idioms that we use. Why am I saying all of this? Because when it comes to the word saint, holy means saint. And I've wrestled with the understanding of holiness. In fact, when I looked up the meaning, the, the biblical definition, there's two parts of it, and I realized right there in the two parts is where I always go wrong. The two parts of holiness, one is the moral quality, and the other is the consecrated or acceptable to God. So holy means two things. It means moral quality, but it means consecrated and accepted to God. So when I look at my own life, I think, eesh, I don't really feel very holy. I obviously am not a saint. We judge and we measure ourselves based on the quality of our morality, holiness. But what the Bible's talking about is the word consecrated. You know what the word consecrated means? Consecrated means set apart or acceptable to God. So let's go to the Old Testament. Old Testament, temple, and uh, as you get things ready for the temple, let's just say, hey, in the temple, we need a nice table and we need some cups to drink from. Okay, we've made the table, we've made the cups, but you can't just take a table and cup into the temple because if something's gonna be acceptable to God, it has to be holy. God is holy and only that which is holy is acceptable to God. So we would take a whole lot of bulls, goats, animals, all of that, and we'd take the blood and we'd start sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. Cup is now holy to the table. Sprinkle, 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 sprinkle. A whole lot of blood. Table is now holy, acceptable to God. Now what about the priests? Whoa, cook. Okay, so more goats, more bulls, and then now onto your ears, onto your thumbs, onto your big toe, on sprinkle blood over your clothes. Okay, now you are holy unto the Lord. Now the people come and worship. Oh, my word. Okay, clearly, Quentin, before your sacrifice is acceptable, a whole lot of work to be done. Sacrifice another bull, take the blood, sprinkle it upon you, family, altar. Everything that is acceptable to God has to be holy, and it's only the blood that makes you holy. Because the Bible tells us then, in Hebrews 10, 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Friends, then Jesus, the Lamb of God, without sin or blemish, shed his blood. When his cousin John the Baptizer saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why we talk about when we celebrate communion, the blood of Christ. What we're celebrating is the fact that we have been made holy, acceptable to God. One of my good friends, 
lives down uh, the south coast. His daughter, all her life, she wanted to be a vet. And she is one of those super high achievers. And so for all of the last, I suppose, high school years, she was always the A student because she wanted to qualify for veterinary science. I think they only take about 30 new students a year at Honest to Put. And so she worked for five years at high school, eventually becoming the top student in their high school, one of the top students in KZN, eight A's I think she got to try and qualify and she was rejected. Only take 30 students, not good enough. So undeterred, she signed up to go and do a BSc up in Pretoria or Joburg, one of them, and spent another year working hard at her BSc to try and, and, and she got Dean's commendation, she got all the top marks, da 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 accepted finally. And can you imagine the, the sense of celebration? Yeah, now you get your letter from the university accepted. So two weeks ago or three weeks ago, she started at Onestaput. Now she's a vet in training. She never again has to worry about qualifying to be accepted into veterinary science. Now she can live out the journey of becoming a vet because she's qualified to do that. Up to that point, it was all about performance. It was all about trying to be accepted. Now she got the letter, I'm accepted. Now the good news in the kingdom of God is that Jesus did this part. He did this part. It was his righteousness, his sinlessness, his perfection before God that got him stamp of approval accepted. The reason Jesus could be raised from the dead, because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and the only way the Father in heaven could raise Jesus legal, I mean, in a, in a just way was because Jesus had no sin. The Father couldn't have raised Jesus. If there was any sin in his life, there was no way the Father was allowed to raise him from the dead. But his resurrection proves that Jesus, your righteousness, was perfect. He was qualified, and he was accepted as holy. And now for you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we are in Christ, married together, that covenant promise, when we are counted in Christ, we get the letter accepted. You are now holy. You are now a saint. And for people like this lady who've wrestled all their lives with being rejected, it's one of the hardest things in the world to truly, in our hearts, understand what it means, you're accepted now. You don't have to try anymore. You don't have to try and qualify yourself anymore. You are qualified. You are holy. I want to share a story with you that's been ministering so much to me recently. And uh, it's a story I've, I've often told before, a story in the Bible. It's uh, one of my favorite ones. And, and if you've heard me tell it before, you know, whenever I think about the story, there's a there's an actor on TV that always comes to mind. It's the story about Zacchaeus, and I can't not think of Danny DeVito when I think about Zacchaeus, because I just, just for me it fits. I mean, there's, no, 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 there's not even a second place option. This is who I think. Zacchaeus was the tax collector. He was short. He was probably plump. He was probably loud. He was probably arrogant. But let me read this story to you quickly. In, in Luke chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
So I'm picturing him right here. I'm picturing the shiny black shoes. I'm picturing the suit, the tie, the jacket. I'm picturing someone who's so proud of his wealth and he uses his money to impress people. I'm picturing a guy who's proud. He's probably got a name badge that says chief tax collector because he loves the status. He loves the profile and he loves all of that because inside he's hurting. See, to be a tax collector in Israel, what it meant is, is Israel was under Roman occupation. Israel had been conquered by Rome, and Rome ruled over them. So even though you were an Israelite, you were not free because the Roman centurions and guards and Herods and Caesars, they ruled over you. And some Israelites, what they did is they actually chose the Romans over the Israelites. And so a tax collector would then work for the Romans to get money out of his fellow Israelites to give it to the Romans. And the more money he could get out of the Israelites to give to the Romans, the more money he got himself. So the Romans loved him and the Israelites, his people, hated them. In fact, I mean, there was this category, you know, the normal sinners, the murderers and all. I mean, you get the normal sinners here. Then you get a special category the lowest of the lowest. It always speaks about the sinners and tax collectors. Can you imagine what it must be like to be Zacchaeus? You, you, you just live a life of constant rejection. Everywhere you go, all the time, you know your people have rejected you. And you try and cover it up. You cover it up. Surely if I had more money to do the stuff I want to do, surely if I got the status, if I got the clothes, if I got, surely that would make me feel better. And yet deep inside, you still just want to belong. But you know you've been on this journey. So many things have happened. It's, it's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. And yet as much as you've tried to put bandages and escapism and all of these things, he hears about Jesus and something in his heart says maybe. So Jesus is coming along. In verse number three, it says, he wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And literally at this point, I can see Danny DeVito standing in the back of a crowd. He's jumping up and down, but he's fast. So he only gets like an inch off the ground, but he's desperately just cannot see over the shoulders of the people in front of him. Verse four, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now I can picture this clearly in my mind. I've got a great imagination. I'm picturing Danny DeVito trying to climb a tree in shiny shoes, slacks. He doesn't want to mess up his slacks at all. He's trying to climb. He hasn't climbed a tree in 40 years, but now, and he's fat and he's not very strong, but he's trying to lever his way up into a tree. Probably after all that climbing, he only gets a foot off the ground, but this is Zacchaeus trying to climb a tree. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, would you honestly be honest? If you were Zacchaeus right now, what would you do? Because listen, it's one thing to want to see Jesus, and I love it when he talks because he, he talks with such authority and maybe he'll do another miracle. We've heard he's been doing miracles and things and it's awesome to sit up there because you've got such a good view now and I can see Jesus doing stuff, but that's Jesus there. Now you want to come into my house because I know, Jesus, if I let you into my house, it's just a question of time before you fully understand all that I've done and I do. I know, Jesus, you've probably just randomly chosen me. And when you realize I'm not just a tax collector, but a chief tax, that means I am the guy who's basically stealing money from your people. I'm profiting of their suffering. And 
Jesus, you're going to roast me. I mean, Jesus, you are going to be mad at me. I can just imagine, I, yeah, I'll let you into my house, but I know what Jesus is going to say about my tax collecting. And at this point, I wonder, would you let Jesus in your house or not? All the, verse number six, it said, so he came down and at once, oh no, came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I mean, right there, because they knew that, that's, his, that's his identity. That's Zacchaeus, not just a sinner. He's the tech, he's the chief. That's his identity. Jesus, why would you want to identify with him? And then here's the thing. Jesus never once spoke about tax collecting. Amazes me. I mean, Jesus, you, ne you never challenged him about his morality. You didn't ask him about why he does what he does. You just had lunch. No, Jesus didn't just have lunch. Jesus was preaching one of the most powerful sermons ever, but he didn't use any words this time. He said to this sinner, this tax collector, this rejected one, I want to be with you because you belong. And something inside, it's almost like Zacchaeus had this truth encounter with Jesus. And when you have a truth encounter with Jesus, Jesus doesn't budge. He's the rock of offense. And it's, Jesus, you chose me. Out of this whole crowd, you could have gone to any one of their houses for lunch, and they all love you, and they're singing your praises, and I'm a tax collector. But Jesus, you chose me to come into my house, even though all the other people are grumbling and complaining. And at some point, something must have broken open in his hard heart. Jesus, you accepted me. And it says, look at the response. He says, Zacchaeus stood up and he said, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Something broke inside of him. Do you see, suddenly, it's like, has his identity maybe changed? Because look what it says. Jesus then speaks in verse nine. And he says, today salvation has come to this house. Why? Why? Because I gave him kind of, I confronted his sin, challenged him about the tax lien. No, Jesus says, because this man too is a son of Abraham. That's who he is. He's not a tax collector. He's not rejected. He's not an outcast. He's a son of Abraham. And when that truth broke into Zacchaeus's heart, it's like the river of life began to flow. And for some of us here today, we need a truth encounter. We've heard the world. We've heard what we say to ourselves. We've heard all these other voices which have always painted a picture of rejection, not worthy, unqualified. And Jesus wants to break into our hearts and directly confront us and say, you are a child of God. Not just a child of God. You are accepted. You are holy. You have full access to all of the Father, to His presence, to His temple, to His people, you are qualified in me. And some of us here today, it's a verse in Revelation. Revelation 3 verse 20. And it's well known. It says, Here am I, Jesus said. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The NLT says, I will come in and eat with them like a friend. 
And sometimes you think it's because of your behavior, your past, what's been done, and your disqualifications that maybe it's better to keep Jesus at a distance. Or if I let Jesus in, I know he's going to roast me like he was probably going to. And, and Jesus says, no, no, no. I want to come in and eat with you as a friend. First comes your identity. Then automatically your behavior begins to change. We are not rejected. We are not disqualified. We are holy, saints of God, accepted in Christ, consecrated to Him. It's stamped. It's done. When that drops into our heart, then we begin to live lives of holiness. Not to qualify, but we are qualified. Why don't you stand with me, please? If you don't mind closing your eyes where you are right now, feel like there's people here today that, that face that decision that Zacchaeus faced. If I truly, completely opened up my heart to Jesus, what would happen? Would it be guilt, condemnation, and shame because I know, I know what I've done in my past or what's been done to me? Or would it be acceptance and belonging and love? And for some of you right now, rejection has been, if not your primary identity, it's been a big part of your identity. Could someone ever truly love me? Could I truly be chosen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come right now and maybe you'll sense just where you are the working of the Holy Spirit inside of your heart. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, and I'm praying that you would have heard the voice of God this morning. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Father, thank you for the wonder of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you transformed Zacchaeus' life not by words of challenge or correction or rebuke, but addressing his identity of belonging, chosen, acceptable, holy. Thank you, Jesus, that we are saints. You did the qualifying. You did the miracles. You did the holy living. And in you, we get to be saints of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just allow the Holy Spirit to, maybe, maybe you've been dragging into your once was, and now it is. Are you dragging part of an old identity into a new destiny? It's time to let it go. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We sang a line in a song earlier. It says, chains break at the weight of your glory. Come let your glory fall, Holy Spirit. Just let your glory fall, Lord. Let chains break at the weight of your glory. The wonder, the wonder of Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 
Friends, if you are here this morning and maybe never made that first step commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you still in a once was. Today is the day, but now. We'd love to pray for you. We would love to. We've got that starter pack that I told you. We can give you one of those, but we'd love to pray with you. Start the journey. What does it mean to fully accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, if any of you do need prayer, we've got a team up front here. We gladly pray with you, pray for you. But Father, I pray, let the weight of your word rest upon our hearts. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Thank you for a transformed identity. We want to walk into the fullness of our destiny because of the fullness of our identity. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And God's people saying, amen. May the Lord bless you. We